everybody, and welcome to Books Unbound, the podcast where we unbind books to get to their hearts with your hosts, me, Ariel, and of course, Raylene. But today we have a special guest in the house. We've got Claire. Hello. Hello, Claire. Hello. <laughs> welcome to the pod. Thank you. Now, guys, this is like double, triple exciting for me. If you all recall, last year I went to three weddings. Uh, I went to Raylene's wedding. I went to Claire's wedding and to Megan's wedding. So first of all, this means that everyone whose weddings I've ever attended, <laughs> I've now had on the podcast. New rule. <laughs> for some reason, that seems important. Mm-hmm. Uh the other weird, weird thing is that Claire is one of my dearest, dearest friends, but Claire, you and Raylene have never met. No. So worlds are colliding. It's uh, it's like the Avengers Endgame of Ariel oh Bissett podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we just need to get one with all of the guests on at the same time. Yes, like exactly. Everyone who's ever yep. been on the show before. <laughs> Whoa, that would be actually so chaotic. <laughs> Yeah, I'll stick, I'll stick that people. one out. Oh, it's my first and last. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Claire, you're beaming in from England. I am indeed. How's the How's the weather today? You know what? It's okay. Like it's very. Oh. It's been kind of lovely sun, and then it's kind of yeah. back to a nice kind of relative grey is how I'm describing them today. Mm, relative grey. That's my mm-hmm. favorite. I love that. Exactly. And also, it takes a lot of work to keep this pale, is what I like to say. So <laughs> when the sun is out, I'm like, it's like factor 100 to try and stay away with like every hat. So I quite like a grey. Claire and I met making YouTube videos, just how Raylene and I met. And um, your latest YouTube video is you doing a big haul. And one of the things you haul is a Jane Austen bonnet. Of course it is. And <laughs> I just thought about that because I was like, how is Claire protecting herself from the sun? The and now I'm picturing you walking around London with a of bonnet. Of course. <laughs> like, it's perfect. Um, no, but I I feel quite emotionally invested with that bonnet. I've now kind of like asked my mom to actually make me an Empire Line dress, like no joke. And she was like, when will oh. you wear it? And I'm like, when won't I? <laughs> like every day. <laughs> Every single day. Yeah. Claire, uh, I mean, Raylene, how's the weather in BC? We're doing coast to coast yeah. and really far away I mean, it's kind coast. of similar today, actually. It's uh, The sky is slightly blue, but mostly cloudy. And it's just ah. like a cool, like 19 or 20 degrees. So I'm okay with this. Today over here is like storming. It's oh, storming. Lucky. It's a dark and stormy day. And it's great because we needed rain to put out the fires yeah. that Nova Scotia right. was having. So as an update to everyone who got invested last week, uh, so grateful for the rain. So I've never prayed for rain before, I don't think. <laughs> and this, these like past week, of everyone in the province was just kind of like praying for rain. And now we have a week and a half of nothing but rain. And there I'm not go. even pissed about it. I just look outside, I'm like, kill the fire. <laughs> kill the fire. <laughs> Do it, do your thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's actually a relief. Okay, we're so excited to dive into this. So as listeners will know, the way that we do guests, uh, the way that we do guest episodes is pretty straightforward. We have a couple of lightning roundish questions, but they're never lightning round, so I should stop calling it that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we do some get to know Claire questions to get to know you, Claire, as a person, but of course, more, more importantly for Books Unbound, as a reader. And then we're going to dive into our archives of... Uh, requests people have asked of us and I just want to do a little tiny preface if my voice deteriorates through this (laughs) episode I woke up with the sorest throat ever 
and I have tea. Connor gave me a lozenge. Oh. And I'm like, that's very, very nice, but also I can't have a lozenge while mm. I podcast. So this is actually more of a torture. Also, put that it's right in front just there. like one lozenge, not even a bag. So you just kind of got one in your pocket, just, <laughs> just going around. Treat for you. you <laughs> Only one. So, uh, yeah, at the end of the episode, I'm shoving that into my mouth and that'll be great i'm looking at the brand and i think it's british yeah it's just made in england so mm. on theme there we are on theme. <laughs> very good connor very good all right we're starting with the big one <laughs> claire i keep messing up your names raylene and claire for some reason there's something going on in my brain that's like those are the same name claire <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is your favorite book or books, plural, because no one can ever only say one, and I understand that. And we're happy for you to do up to five, which I think is the <laughs> oh one guest came. One guest came on here and was like, "I have five. and we're like, "Okay, you do." Your- I mean, yeah, I mean, technically, I guess I do. Like, I do have like a genuine full list of like books that only ever have kind of got five star plus that I would, you know, tattoo onto my body and carry around with me. Like, you know, if you had like a really big oversized jacket of full of books, you'd open it up to be like, here are my wares. I have like a few that would be in there. Um, But I have picked, which I know so many people who probably kind of know me or indeed Ariel, who also knows me quite well, uh, will know the book. Um, And in fact, Ariel, say it for me. It's Mrs. Dalloway by Miss Virginia Woolf. <laughs> it is, yeah. So I feel like... I'm pretending not to know, Claire. Yeah. I'm like, what it's is it? So... <laughs> what a surprise. So I I am going to still stick with Mrs. Dalloway because I think it's the okay. book that was... You know when you read a book and you kind of have to step back and you go, oh my goodness, like that's what writing can do. Like, how mm. good is that book? And you kind of want everybody to read it and then you can't understand why they haven't yet, Ariel, be said. Yeah. So it's kind of like... That is, for me, that book that I kind of want everybody to read. But then I also have kind of, you know, Pride and Prejudice for Jane Austen is one of my, mm. you know, all-time favourite books, or kind of Rebecca and Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. And so a lot of these are kind of quite stereotypical kind of classics that you've probably read in kind of literature school. Um, mm. But they're the books that I still kind of return to. But I think Mrs Dalloway, in terms of my top, my top phrase, I probably couldn't live without. I just thought it while you were speaking, I just thought of a video idea for you, Claire. <laughs> I think you need to do a video called reading, rereading Pride and Prejudice while wearing my bonnet. <laughs> and so every time like that you read it. Like a 24 hour kind of like. Yeah, yeah. Read it but like you're, you're not allowed to read even a single word if you don't have the bonnet on. <laughs> 100%. The thing is, sometimes I think about genuine like the videos that I make. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. But here am I reading like a really dry history book. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, this is why I can't do those kind of videos. Because look at, look at what I'm reading. Um, yeah, I should the definitely wear a Vikings. Mark. Yeah, that, I, honestly, could do. It was like, yeah. anyway, sorry, I'm getting carried away. I keep forgetting that this is like a podcast. And then I was going to take you all on a digression. But we can't. <laughs> if it helps, digression is the fuel of podcasts. Absolutely. Ariel digresses all the time. <laughs> And the people love it. No. <laughs> Raylene's like the people love it. I can deal without it, I but the people it. like it. It's good for the, it's good for the audience. Good for the episode. 
just, the thing is, I think um, when I digress, it's kind of like, oh, and then that's linked to this monarch. And then did you know in the act of this era, this also <laughs> happened? And then at the same time, this legal act came in and then that politician was there. Like, nothing <laughs> makes sense. Like, it's Can just kind believe? of like, like, the whole context of like everything is just not needed. But, you know, you want to know about a Reformation Act in, you know, 16th century, I'm there for you. But like, <laughs> actual stuff that would be fun or useful, not at all. No, I think you make it fun, Claire. I think you make it fun. And I think your YouTube channel is a testament to that. Um, which, by the way, everything Claire-related is linked. If you're not enjoying this accent enough, and you, yeah, there's a whole YouTube channel of it available. Um, okay, favorite author is the follow-up to that. And I'm always cu- we're always curious to see if that aligns with your favorite mm. book. Because it does for a lot of people, like for me. Um, but it also doesn't align for a lot of people. Raylene, actually... As an aside, really, does it align for you? Your favorite book is not your favorite author, right? Well, I was actually just thinking about this yesterday, and I was like, I don't know who my favorite author is. Like, I'm, I was oh, going to say that. It's kind like, of a big question really... mark for me because, yeah. like, I love The Great Gatsby and I love The Name of right. the Wind, but I wouldn't say Patrick Rothfuss is my favorite author. I've only read one F. Scott Fitzgerald book, so I can't say he's my yeah. favorite. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I actually don't know who my favorite author is. That's something I feel like that Stephen I'm gonna King is your out. favorite author. He might be. Yeah, Stephen yeah. might be up yeah. there. The problem with Stephen is I don't love all mm. of his books, but I still think he might be my favorite just because I've you did just call him Steven so I feel like maybe (laughs) oh Steve (laughs) maybe closer friends (laughs) yeah no that's a good a good idea you're you're on the right track right but it doesn't align with your favorite book or book no exactly that's interesting so it can go okay Claire where are you on the spectrum I, I feel like mine do really closely align in the same way that Virginia Woolf is one of my favorite writers, same as Jane Austen, because I love multiple of their books, like nearly every book. Yeah. I'm like, even if it's not like a favorite, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And I wouldn't necessarily read it for fun, but there's some really cool ideas in there. And I feel like those two writers. But then I also have authors like um, Susanna Clarke, so the author of Jonathan Strange, Mr. Novel, which is one of the mm. best books ever written. And she did then, for a long time, she literally just did that book. So I felt very safe feeling like this is my favorite yeah. author and she's done this one thing and it's brilliant. Yeah. And then she did Piranesi, but actually that was also pretty good. Mm. It, but it, oh. it wasn't, sim- it, it was very different to Jonathan Strange. I think yeah. if you really love Jonathan Strange, it's like a very particular, it's a very particular book to read and it's a very particular style of writing and Piranesi is slightly different. And so mm-hmm. I would still think of her as one of my top favourites just because she is just such an incredible book that I couldn't not have her. But I think yeah. nearly every book I do... I realise that actually now saying this, I actually do tend to read more of more than one book by an author. Actually, It's probably quite rare that I... If I really enjoy it, I won't... Like, you know, Ian Forster or Thomas Hardy or any of those kind of writers I really like, I'll always go back. But I think I'm a bit of a like completionist, so I'm like have to kind of tick them all off. Mm. And that's kind of, I can't count them as a favourite unless, you know, I've read right. everything yeah. Jane yeah. ever read. <laughs> yeah. um, and I get that kind of anxious about that. So I'm probably a bit over, yeah, over. Raylene yeah. and I are definitely not the same on that one because <laughs> we actually talk a lot on the podcast of how stupid we are that we, we have like these favorite authors yeah. who we haven't read like seven of their books or something. And we're like, why are we not tapping into this gold mine? I know, right? When we know that like we love the author. I have 11 Murakami books sitting on my shelf. I'm like, just read them. Just read them, man. <laughs> I, You're going to like also, them. I think it also depends also whether they're like dead or alive. Because I True. feel like, why did I... You don't want to run out. Yeah, why didn't I slow down on Virginia Woolf? She's not coming back. Like, there's going to be no new yeah. releases. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's long, yeah. long do you have any? Do you have any Virginia Woolf that you haven't read? I think I, I haven't read Night and Day. 
um, which mm. is one of the like not so well known ones. Mm. But I think yeah, um, and most of the Voyage out I've read, but I've kind of read like her her big hits, kind of yeah. <laughs> the the big the big read, hitters. Have you read Three Guineas? Yes, I have. With, Did you um, like it? Yeah, really. I often read it with the, a room of one's own um, uh, okay, because they yeah. tend to come in like a little collection. So I can't remember Raylene, it like individually. Raylene and I did a uh, challenge, and I don't remember what it yeah, was, but like you... it had to have a three in the title. <laughs> it was for our like third anniversary or something. That was right? it. Yeah. For our third anniversary, we had to find a book that had three in the title, and I ended up finding a really pretty copy of Three Guineas. Yeah. So I bought that, and I own it now. And I'm like, never heard of anyone who's read this book. And I'm like, well, surely the Dalloway expert will have read it. That's um, you know, that was one of my first Tumblr names, My Three Guineas. In like, oh my god, that's so cute. <laughs> And I'm like, I really should have like brought that out more. So maybe I'll rebrand and I'll go home yeah, and my free That's actually yeah. so cute. But no one, no one really gets. Do you know what I mean? It's not like in popular reference. No. It was just yeah. me, me being over here being like, guineas. Like I didn't even know that that's a really weird word until Ariel yeah. bought it. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, favorite genre or just genre genre you read the most because um, again this is another one that sometimes these don't align actually which is fascinating i don't <laughs> i'm over here losing my mind over these discrepancies <laughs> but yeah what is your favorite genre i find it's really difficult because i feel like classics itself isn't a genre and is mm. if it is it shouldn't be um yeah. but i think whenever i think about you know when i like look at my reading over the year and i kind of like count them all down it's like they're all under this kind of umbrella of classics but then within yeah. that i guess i would say like kind of social novels if that's oh, okay. a genre because then that's kind of like you've got middle march you've got all that kind of very victorian kind of social novels i tend to yeah. navigate to that side and kind of I guess I go by more style maybe than genre sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like modernism or Victorian social novels, that's, I guess, within the realm of classics. Because I think if classics is a genre, one, it sounds really wanky, but like <laughs> two, it just doesn't work. It's not really yeah. fit for purpose. And it's so yeah. like, it, you know, it then is really kind of stuck in this very white, you know, just not particularly diverse reading list. If we kind of think mm. about it, especially how I, when you look at my reading, how you define it. Um, but alongside, yeah. I guess, more kind of classic lit by looking at what I read. And then also historical fiction, which actually I don't read as much as I thought I did. But that, for me, mm. I always think is one of my favourite genres. But I think because actually now I'm realising I spend so much time reading non-fiction, probably more non-fiction than kind of fiction. And it's all kind yeah. of history books. I feel like I read a lot more than any other type of kind of uh, like fiction. <laughs> And have you noticed any trends in your reading this year? Like, is there something this year that you've been... I know you were going through an Agatha Christie moment. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Gosh, that was a really good few books. I hyper-fixated yeah. on her like mad. I, I feel had like a that great was in the winter time. Yeah, but I mean, I... Yeah, that is such a good point. I'd forgotten about Agatha. We were such good friends over those months. <laughs> no, but Agatha. I... Yeah, I really... So if you haven't read Ag Agatha Christie, actually, they, she's really good. I know late review. <laughs> late review of one of the great writers. Um, the best-selling author of all time. <laughs> what are your favorite Christie's that you read? Oh, yeah. So I would have to say, and then there were none, is one of the best so good. books yeah, I've ever read. And I was mm. like actually like, on the sofa sitting down, exclaiming, like, <laughs> two, one. Like I was like, actively like, I was so gripped. Yeah. And I was like actively kind of so involved in it. And I think that was my first one. And I've since read a couple of Poros. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd's really good, which is 
I think I think like the third or fourth pro. Um, but I haven't yet read a Marple, so I feel like I need to mm. read a Marple because I again this is the thing I kind of have had to read lots of Poirot to feel like oh now I can class now I can read the big Poirot books I can go and read yeah. Orient Express because I've done the, the beginning ones like the very first ones mm-hmm. so I need to read a Marble so I can read kind of and um, what's the famous Marple like the body in the library and all the kind of the big ones so I'm going to read the first mm. couple but I think I've oh you go Ariel no I was going to ask you if you've seen the movie see how they run not yet but I want to because I love that okay. kind of stuff I know. I also love that kind of stuff, but and I didn't realize that it's like an Agatha Christie thing, and it yeah. was so good. So anyone who likes Agatha Christie, this is like a shout out to my Agatha Christie peeps out there. <laughs> Watch, see how they run. I feel like that movie weirdly didn't. I must have not gotten a marketing budget or something because nobody talks about it, even though it's got a stacked. Yeah, cast. I hadn't yeah. really heard of it when you told me about it, and I was like, Saoirse Ronan is in this. She's my favorite. Saoirse like, Ronan what the hell? with her Irish accent. I know, which yeah. is just what? peak. <laughs> can't get I know. Than that. Sam Rockwell, Ruth Wilson. There's so many great people. I forget the name of the actress that plays Moaning Myrtle. She plays Agatha mm. Christie. I mean, come on. I didn't realize it. Like, had I didn't realize it was about Agatha Christie. I thought it was just like. It's like about all of the actors that are playing, that are doing the mousetrap. Oh, right. And so I haven't, yeah, I haven't read or seen like the play of the so mousetrap, she's but I want not to. In it, yeah, she's not in it for very long, but she's like referenced throughout yeah. and then she is in it. Um, it's really fun. I really yeah. need to go and see that. And what is the like, really famous play in London as well? It's the mousetrap and then there's also the other one, which is the longest running play in i think it is the most trap no i think there's another one that she's done and it's it's something prosecution no witness wit, wait is i feel like i know what you're talking about but witness for the no, prosecution look i'm on the mouse traps wikipedia page and it says too. the longest running west end show it has How by far you. the longest run of any play in the world with its 28,915th performance Holy having God. taken place in November 2022. That's actually crazy. That's insane. <laughs> so wow. I think then Witness for the Prosecution is basically a, like a, it's been running for a similar amount of time. Mm. Like she's obviously had Second both place. of these play. Yeah, mm-hmm. she obviously had both of them going for ages. And I've never, I've actually never seen a play in London, which is like ridiculous. Considering I've lived here for six years and I've never gone and seen a play. That's the craziest fact I've ever heard. That's even crazier than that longest running show thing. (laughs) (laughs) Longest run living in London without seeing a play. Crazy. The thing is, when people are in a theatre, they have to stay in a spot and listen for, what, two, three hours? That's tough. Yeah, really tough. tough. And you're in the middle of a seat. I can't get out. What about if I need to run somewhere? Obviously, I don't need to. Yeah. Just anxiety. But, you know, need to <laughs> know if I worry. can. <laughs> exactly. It's very scary. But, but at intermission, you get ice cream. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that is true. I can have ice cream. Not in a theater, though. You will you. Yeah, um, I will go, though. That is actually that is on my bucket list, actually. My London bucket list is to go and see an Agatha Christie play. Um, yeah, now I'm like, so I th- if you don't do it by the time I'm there the next time, we'll go together. The good thing is, it's also been running for a while. <laughs> We've yeah, got a few years. <laughs> you can't miss it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, um, but I can't okay. remember your question. Do you, wanna, do you it, want me to... Yeah, it was favorite genre. I think we did it. Then I yeah. went on an Agatha Christie run. But now I want to know favorite bookshop. This is a question we only started asking guests, I think, this year, Aileen. Mm, I think so. And it's so much fun because it just lets people, like, 
like shout out their favorite shop so you can say more than one if you want to but yeah what is your favorite bookshop I have so many and I feel like I collect them a bit like my favorite books I kind of should like give them as tickets to people like recommendations where to go I think my favorite is one in York which is called um the Minster Gate bookshop and it's right next to the York Minster so um the kind of the main big city kind of everything well not the biggest city in Yorkshire but kind of the a really beautiful kind of touristy um, town and it's right next to Minster and so it feels like you're traveling back in time and you're kind of walking at these creaky kind of um, stairs and it's really small yeah. but it's just absolutely like chock-a-block with so many books from like really cheap fiction as well to then kind of like literary criticism and it's the one of the bookshops that you know when obviously they revolve the stock all the time because often quite a lot of it's like reduced stock and so yeah. if you don't get the book then it won't be there next time so there's a sense of every time you go there's something genuinely like special that you could pick up that then yeah. Yeah. you have to buy because it won't be gone <laughs> um and I think that's one of my favorites mainly because I remember going there so often as a student and obviously um Erin and I have been there and had lots of memories. I feel like it's somewhere that I, lots of my important like life moments have kind of been. There's a picture of me outside it on my wedding day. So it's just very integral to like my sense of who I am as like a reader. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's my top favourite. Um, and then in London, I feel like there are so many really good ones. Um, so many. I think Gower Street Waterstones is probably, <gasps> the one in Bloomsbury is probably my favourite because it has nooks and little places to sit and I always remember actually that was the we I remember being there with Ariel the like what was it the few days before lockdown and yeah, then we were like it was, Mar- it was like March 11th yeah we were just talking about this and funny. the really sad thing is we were talking about like how many plans we had oh, <laughs> we, were that's still, true. we were literally it's talking about all the travel plans we're like wow and then <laughs> little did we know <laughs> the that, world would change so funny because it felt like it really did feel like a movie. Like we were having a really emotional conversation. We were talking about our hopes and dreams and how the last few years had been kind of difficult and how we were like ready to reset our lives. And a big part of that was me being like, I really want to spend more time in London and I want to be able to come here. And Claire had just got an apartment there. And so, um, well, not just, but and we were like, I can maybe rent Claire's room. Yes, we could do. We Aww. had this whole plan. Yeah. And then the next week, COVID started and I didn't go back to England for two years. So it was a, kind of a beautiful memory. And then all it's a, it's almost a melancholic memory. Mm. Do you know what I mean, Claire? Because like we had, it was such a beautiful moment, but then also like undercut <laughs> by reality. I love that bookshop. It um, is beautiful. But also I feel like it's, it's the moment where you realize what's most important in life sometimes. And then when you went away, I was like, oh, you've got to really hold your people close. Um, yeah. And so I remember being in that bookshop and being like, this could be a Richard Curtis movie, but if it was dystopian, like if it were, if it had a twist, this could have been our meet cute and also like yeah. the end point. I'm, I'm coming back, Claire. I'm still so furious that you married someone else that isn't me, but that's fine. That's Listen, fine. I mean, there is divorce, you know, no, no, no fault divorce anymore. Not dead yet, Ariel. Yeah. <laughs> Just put, the, just put the life insurance on him and then we'll be ready to go. <laughs> Raylene, will bring um, a, Raylene will bring a shovel. We'll be good. <laughs> that, there's another movie for you, right? That's like a very exciting movie. Poor Ben. Poor Ben. He's too nice for us to make fun of, actually. We love Ben. All right. What are you currently reading? Let's bring it back to the now. So What's I, in this moment? What's on your docket? 
I think I actually put, picked this up. I did pick it up. Oh, look at this. I don't know if I... Do you think I should hold it up? So obviously, it doesn't work for podcasts, but if people are watching on hold video, it. they'll know. Yeah. Um, so I'm currently reading Bring Up the Bodies by Hilary Mantel, which is the second book in her um, Thomas Cromwell trilogy. And Wolf Hall is one of the best historical fiction books ever ever written it is like mm. astonishing and i'm a really massive Tudor history geek and so it's also so accurate that you you feel like you're there um mm. but being at the bodies is book two so at this point thomas cromwell um is kind of very much in the the height of his power um and is we're seeing kind of the downfall of um henry the second wife Anne Blyn, and the kind of the tensions in the court are getting um tense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're gonna see the downfall of a queen um and so yeah very stressful for me at the moment (laughs) are you enjoying it oh god the thing is because this is like my ultimate dream even though I know obviously it's what's going to happen I'm still like still well I say I'm rooting for Amblin but because this is kind of not from the perspective of Cromwell but it's kind of from his his bias and so obviously Mm. Anne's betrayed kind of um yeah just quite difficult because obviously she's kind of trying to break down obviously she's about to be killed uh, it's not a good time for anyone um but it's you know when it, it's something you're really geeky about and then it's like someone has given it to you in the best writing mm. ever yeah. and you can just live in it for a while and it feel i say it feels so comforting but it's Tudor England, so maybe not that comforting um but it is it's a thing of beauty but it is also just such brilliant characterization and so evocative and atmospheric that you just you feel like you can smell kind of everything and you feel like you're there um so if you haven't read wolf hall i would wholeheartedly recommend it. even if you're not a Tudor history geek or even a history geek mm. and don't know a lot about the kind of the people in the books because yeah. i'm aware there's a lot of thomases being thrown around and a lot of people with the very same names um and that can feel a bit daunting but i think it's just so good that everyone should read it that is what i'm currently reading <laughs> So I'm curious, are you chill about reading really big books? This is another oh, thing that Raylene yeah. and I talk about often. We're like, are we intimidated by them? Do we like kind of put them off? I'm curious, do you care about reading? Do you care the, about the size of a book at all? What's really weird is that some of my favorite books are really short. So it's like Mrs. Dalloway, mm. you know, The Great Gatsby also, they're all really tiny. But then yeah. I love Jonathan's Treasure Mr. Noir, which is like, I think, a thousand pages and The Luminaries yeah. by Eleanor Catton. And so I think... Yeah. I, I don't m- mind a really chunky mm. book as long as I think it's really kind of worth my time almost. I feel like I ha- it has to be then worth worth it in the end. And so I yeah. guess I'm quite picky with the big books that I um, read. But then I guess the next book, in the, the last book in this series is probably one of my mashed potato books because it's so freaking long. <laughs> it's massive. Oh it's like a doorstopper of a book. And yeah. But I also don't want it to end, so maybe that's also why I'm... That, that, that one being a big book is more scary because, unfortunately, for, for all of Harry Mantel's writing, this is it. This is, this is the end piece for us in terms right. of yeah. uh, probably me reading her. Um, so I so might delay that. You kind, of, you kind of just transition us perfectly to our final little interviewee question, which is, what is your most recent-ish mashed potato book? Um... I'm reading what I wrote down here. It says, this means a book you have been meaning to read for ages. I wrote that in capitals with like seven A's. And you either still are dying to get to it, but just keep not reading for some weird reason. Or you finally just did tackle it. Hallelujah, I wrote to myself. Um, (laughs) 
So, with that definition in mind, what would you consider is your so, mashed potato book? I also have it to hand because I try to be Amazing. prepared. And for, the, is, for our video viewers, I know that they like seeing the <laughs> Clara's wild <laughs> video. It's the first Actually, time I've been able to look at the camera, so hello. <laughs> I need you to do a shout out because you were texting me what? and you were telling me that you're liking the video version. Oh, I love it. Oh, really I nice. really, really enjoy it because then I can kind of put you on and then like, you know, have you on in the background, but then kind of look over and see your faces. I really like it. And also I really appreciate when you were like, you were now like facing each, you know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, what was beautiful deal. symmetry. Yeah. Um, and, but also I think I, I don't know, I just really like seeing people's faces. And it's yeah, very nice. I listen talking. to a lot of like audiobooks and podcasts. I love that form. But there's something yeah. just really nice about just having because then it's like you're just two friends in a corner yeah. for me to occasionally, you know, gaze at lovingly. That's true. Um, <laughs> it's just I, I, I wanted you to do that little shout out so that anyone who's an audio listener and has thought about doing the video, <laughs> go ahead, check it out. Um, also, guys, I noticed that we passed 5,000 subscribers Ooh, on the YouTube channel, awesome. which is crazy. So thank you to everyone who is on the YouTube channel. It's very nice to see it growing and stuff. Yeah, but cool. anyways, enough about us. Back to your mashed potato book. What are you holding over there? Yeah, well, for the audio. No, for the, not for the audio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused by the formats. They're the same. So for the video. Yes. Watch us out there. I have Bleak House by Charles Dickens because Charles Dickens for me is my if a man can be a mashed potato then (laughs) Dickens is because I feel like I've read a few Dickens I think actually I think you've already talked about this on the podcast so this is kind of old news um but Charles Dickens is a writer that I've read a few pieces from but not not that many Okay, a slight glitch to everyone. We had to pause for a moment because my camera died, which is unprofessional and annoying of me. And I really thought I had set that to charge. <laughs> Worried about that cord. Maybe that cord doesn't work. Um, anyways, Claire was telling us, please continue with Bleak House. You also, while I was off doing God knows what, you discover that there's original drawings. So please do show mm-hmm. the video peeps. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, to be honest, this is like quite a lot of introductions. It's got a full... Um, chronology in here oh oh, oh god there's two introductions the book's probably only actually like 200 pages long there's selective self-reading before the book starts who that's crazy and then a note on the text here we go (laughs) see how look how lovely so pretty yeah that's beautiful it's really beautiful isn't it um but at the moment all i know is that it's about i guess a poorly lit house um but <laughs> sounds exciting <laughs> yeah I thought, so. I thought definitely worth reading like the lighting conditions like in London <laughs> definitely um so one of the sorry I keep I keep laughing now I'm trying to make oh, so, so many so. jokes it's so bad <laughs> um, so I think Bleak House is my kind of mashed potato book because it's obviously set in London and I currently live in London so I've always had this thing that I will have to read it while I'm still li- living in London yeah. but I'm actually <laughs> planning to leave London this year uh, potentially in a, like a few months or so um, yeah. and I still haven't read it and I guess in a way my time I want to read it in London but is that going to be a reality now so I feel like I have this is my time to make the mashed potato mm. what do you do when a mashed potato when you when you do the mashed potato, what does it become then? Does it become when you like actually finally? Read yeah. It? Do you have another term for that? 
I guess it's just like you conquered the mashed potato. You ate it. Yeah. <laughs> you ate the potato. Just, you just celebrate. I- I'll be yeah. honest, guys. That doesn't have quite the same ring to it. So I think that needs a workshop. <laughs> really? Fine. <laughs> I'll accept that criticism. <laughs> you know what? Like, That's, cons- constructive. Like, That's like constructive. A, a complex carbohydrate or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's like so. Uh, it does. It happens so rarely that we actually read our mashed potato books that we don't even know what to do. We wouldn't even know what that would like. Yeah, we like. we've never done that before. This <laughs> <laughs> is the first time we've thought. So about I think, it. yeah. So I think this is probably my one of my biggest ones, mainly because it, it is also you know a lot of Dickens novels are really quite long, and I guess I I know I like Dickens, but he's a writer still that actually I'm still a bit afraid of, even though I've read quite a lot yeah. of. You know, Victorian literature, for some reason, I I don't... I'm a little bit daunted by him. But this has been... I think this is the book that, out of all of his, when I look over, kind of read the synopsis, this is the one that always was a bit... kind of intrigued me. But now that was so long ago, I now actually really know a lot. I I think it's about a legal case, um, but Mm. that's a real-life one. But now, as soon as I'm saying that, that could be a different Dickens book. But I think it is this one. <laughs> if that is, um, that sounds intriguing to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah exactly. I've never really thought about that book before. But if that's true, I'm I am using my Dickens mug today, you guys. Because I, I was like, Claire's coming on. I have to use the mug that we got at the Dickens Museum. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Dickens, you're, you're still In committed. Theme. You're still committed. Oh, and also, it does um, actually, the very first word of um, of it is in is set in London, yeah, so I didn't, you know, I should have just read the book, shouldn't I? And then I would have known. <laughs> thing is, this is a really good description. Oh my goodness, listen to this. Smoke glowing down from chimney pots, making a soft black drizzle with f- flakes of soot in it as big as gro- full-grown snowflakes. Gone into mourning, one might imagine, for the death of the sun. Dogs undistinguishable in mire. I mean, that's a really good description, isn't it? Yeah. As if in yeah. mourning. This guy can write. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have it? Maybe he's stuck around for yeah. a reason. So, so late, um, late review of Charles Dickens and Agatha Christie. <laughs> off the press. This guy sure can write. <laughs> um, all right, let's shift over to doing some recommendations. These are always really fun to do with our guests because it is a great way to bring in books that we normally wouldn't recommend. Mm-hmm. And like Raylene and I just talk about the same eight books over and over so again. True. But also, I have so much fun picking these out because I like really try and customize it to the guests that we have on. So, um, Raylene, you've got them in front of you. Sure start do. us off and let's do it, baby. Alrighty. So we'll, we'll start off with this one here from Jonathan, who says, I'm always interested in what authors influenced my faves, i.e. Virginia Woolf was an influence for Toni Morrison. So I'm now reading Mrs. Dalloway. Hey, that's kind of perfect. Um, so yeah. what books and authors would you recommend that served as influences for your favorite authors and books? Cool. Very cool question. All right, Claire, do you want to start us off? So I have um, Evelina by Francis Burney. Um, oh, interesting. Is one of the main inspirations. And um, Frances Burney was one of the main inspirations behind Jane Austen in general. And she's kind of a writer mm. that in the 80s century we kind of look at as being, you know, one of the writers that kind of led on to the next generation, especially of women writers in that era. And I think a really interesting fact actually about Jane Austen is that the, the only time Jane Austen's name appeared in print in her lifetime was actually in a book um, by Frances Burney because she was subscribed to it. Um, and she hmm. read it, and it's defer- the only time we ever see her name in her lifetime. And so wow. she was kind of obviously 
a massive fan of Frances Burney. I mean, Frances Burney is an absolute icon. She's just such a brilliant woman of that era. Um, and Evelina is a book about kind of um, a woman coming into London society in the 18th century for the first time and coming from quite a rustic background and kind of having to learn, you mm. know, be aware of all the rakes and kind of learn a lot of the kind of etiquette at the time. But it's such a smashing read. And I think not oh, enough really? people read 18th century books. Um, yeah. But there's so many good ones there. And so I think Evelina, I think if you really like Jane Austen, um, go back and read Frances Burney. It's always my recommendation. That's actually such an interesting wreck because Jane Austen is so um, foundational that I forgot I was she was that. also inspired by people. I know. I was just thinking, like, I, I can't believe there's someone before Jane Austen. Yes, <laughs> literally. I, we yeah. don't. So many of these, especially women in the 18th century, yeah. it's been a time period when actually it's been dominated by so many male voices. But actually you had people like Moira Edgeworth and, um, you know, kind of, you even obviously have Anne Radcliffe, who obviously really influenced Jane Austen because obviously Northanger Abbey has a lot of references yeah. to um, Anne Radcliffe. And so there's just a wealth of writers there that actually we, we don't remember because they're women. Um, yeah. And I think that's, I would always suggest kind of, there are, there are women writers everywhere, there are writers of colour everywhere. It's just we have to actively look for them and search them and find them. Um, but there are so many brilliant 18th century writers. And I think in that era... I think women write better than men in general. There's a lot of 18th century men that we could just leave behind um, and, and bring back uh, Frances Burney and you know, even Mary Wollstonecraft as well. Like there's so mm, many yeah. brilliant women um, who've influenced Jane Austen, including Wollstonecraft. Raylene, who did you pick? What did you pick? Well, for this, this one, it's actually, question. it is That's really fun. One. And it's kind of funny. It all mm. is kind of tied together because I picked Donna Tartt as the author that I wanted to go with because I love Donna Tartt um, but she yeah. was heavily influenced by Charles Dickens <laughs> so yeah, here we are right. again oh, yeah. Um, yeah. particularly Oliver Twist was the one that I figured out like I just from reading her books you can tell she's influenced by Dickens but uh, I was looking yeah. up a list of her favorite books and Oliver Twist was on there and um, she has even said like obviously um, Theo from the Goldfinch is his whole story is very Dickensian like he that at the beginning of the so book loses sense. his mother and is an, is an orphan is taken in by a rich family and kind of becomes part of mm. their family and it's like that's that's just pure Dickens right there so um yeah, yeah so I guess it's kind of a just a general uh Dickens recommendation because I haven't really read him so I can't re recommend mm, a particular yeah. one um but Donna Tart loves Oliver Twist so Ariel's mug and that is the recommendation makes here. so much sense because her characterization is so right? Dickens-like as well and yeah. so it's yeah. kind of bringing that kind of like Oh, yeah, I love that. I didn't ever <laughs> click that, but that makes so much sense. Right. I need to, I've only read, like, The Goldfinch, so I need to read Secret History, and I feel like Secret History is so good. I know. Yeah. I'm a bit she afraid of it because everybody, yeah. Oh, so many books. It's so good. It's very readable. Like, it's kind of a, like, a thickish book, and it seems like it'll mm -hmm. just be, oh, it's just about some, like, hoity-toity college students, but it's actually really, like, thrilling and very, like, mm. easy to read, I found, so. Because it's like a murder mystery, or we know, yeah. it's got that amazing first line, so I feel like I need to read it yeah. in terms of, like, because yeah. I'm now into crime fiction, as we discovered, exactly. we discovered again on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I absolutely love Donna Tartt interviews. Oh, like, I will rewatch Donna Tartt interviews. Her voice is incredible. She's so, like, you can tell she's actually thinking deeply and giving interesting answers. Like, um, and she did these two really awesome interviews with, God, I think his name is Charlie Rose. And he has been, like, 
totally canceled, but it doesn't change that she gave really good yeah. answers, right? Like, it's just like, it's they're still very good interviews um, to watch, especially because she did so few interviews and she's done such yeah. few interviews. So they're definitely worth watching. And I know that either in one of them or in both of them, really, and she talks about Dickens. Because she's like obsessed with Dickens. She loves him. I'm also now curious if that's why she is always in like a pinstripe oh. suit. <laughs> the thing is though, I know we shouldn't ever, you know, kind of talk about women this way. But Donna Tartt in her suit, I mean, beautiful. she's got the most beautiful blue eyes. It really... <laughs> she's striking. Like, I, <laughs> she is striking. It's one of my top crushes. Like, I she's really... She's so cool. Exactly. I don't know if I want to be her or... <laughs> redacted. <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly along. No, I'm kidding. Um, my choice is We... By Evgeny Zamyatin. Mm. This is, I was also, I have the books. <laughs> this is so funny, you guys. I have the books right in front of me that I was going to use to show you. But then when my camera died, I propped my phone mm. camera on top of them. So I cannot show yeah. you them. But they'll be in the overlays. They'll be in the B-roll. The video people will still get to see them. So this was a book I'd never heard of before. It was assigned to me in a course. It was a dystopian fiction course when I was in my undergrad. And it was one of the most fun courses. Courses I've ever had because I could really tell that the professor was picking books that he loved. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That, like weren't just like ones he thought we should read, but were ones that he hoped we would yeah. read because he loved them so much. And um, it had a really great reading list and it really was like the classics of the dystopian genre. And we was on there and I was like, all right, we'll, we'll see what this is about. And reading it was so spooky because it's so similar to 1984 that you're like, wow, like, this is such an inspiration on 1984. Yeah. And I will say that there is a reason we remember 1984 and not we. Yeah. <laughs> like, we is not as good. Like, it's yeah. just plain and simple. It's not as developed as a concept. It's not as tight. The plot is not as good. Um, the ideas and the, 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 the themes are really there. And there's so many interesting parallels. Like, I love talking about these because they're so fascinating. So obviously... In 1984, surveillance is a massive theme. And like George Orwell's kind of reason for that is, or the way that it's possible is, there's a telescreen, that's what he called telescreen, in every room. So you're like always being watched. Well, in uh, We, which was written a couple decades before, it's uh, all of the houses you're in are glass. So it's kind of like there isn't that technology aspect, yeah. but it's the same idea. There's mm. the surveillance. People can see into your house all the time, so you change the way that you act. Um, so there's like these weird, funny similarities that like are really interesting, but are a little bit more rudimentary. What's also really, really cool is that George Orwell reviewed We by Evgeny Zamyatin. <laughs> he read it. You can read his review because they're like on the internet. They're all public. And I took this one line here that he says, this is a book to look out for when an English version appears. And it's really funny that he wrote, writes that because obviously he means when it's translated from the Russian, yeah. but also it feels a little Did bit he like he's like, when... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, but I think what he means also a little bit, like, I can't not take that as, like, when I make a better version of it, <laughs> you should read it. Yeah. Um, his review is really interesting. He also really hates Brave New World. Like, oh, he thinks Brave New World is a really bad book. I and so he talks him. about... <laughs> 
George Orwell just goes on like a rant about how Brave New World is really dumb and boring and not well written. And he's like, but we's got, there's something there, there's something there. And he also talks about how difficult it was for him to get a copy of it. Because this was a book that was written in Russia by an author who was thrown into jail multiple times mm. for censorship and oppression and stuff. And so you couldn't find copies of this book. So cool. Okay, sorry. I went on a big thing there, but I love I love that. Um, all right, Ray, what's our next one? Okay, this next one comes from Autumn, who says, Hi, Ariel and Raylene. Every once in a while, I get in a nonfiction mood, particularly for an audiobook, but I find it hard to sift through which ones will actually be enjoyable. Have either of mm. you read any nonfiction you would recommend for someone who doesn't read it regularly, but enjoys it from time to time? Claire, start us off. What's so your pick? So I realised actually after listening to that question again that actually if you don't read it on nonfiction, this is so specific. Actually, <laughs> it is of use to nobody apart from me. I'm ready. Um, I'm ready. Let's do it. So I I love nonfiction. I love mm. history, and I listen to a lot of my history books through nonfiction. And there are a few kind of really you know brilliant books um, that I would always recommend in terms of nonfiction history, including kind of um, East West Street by Philip Sands on the legalization and the legal history around the Holocaust, which again, I'm aware is not kind of, it's not an easy topic to get, you know, straight in, <laughs> straight in with, um, but it is a brilliant book. And there's a few kind of recommendations um, I have, including The Five by Hallie Rubenhold about the, again, mm. not a particularly cheery subject about um, the victims of Jack the Ripper and kind of giving them back their voices. Oh, yeah, but yeah. there are a few ones I think actually people would really enjoy, like, enjoy, can listen to. So a pick that I think I would definitely um, recommend that is quite specific is Blitz Spirit by um, Becky Brown, or kind of uh, collected by Becky Brown. Um, mm. And this is a collection of different pieces from the Mass Observation Survey that was kind of in 1939 and at the beginning of the Second World War, about how everyday people responded to the fact that we, you know, England was at war with Germany. And mm. so there are lots of narrators who kind of share these different stories. So you get to hear kind of um, oh, that's cool. people's stories with kind of voice actors being them. And it oh, kind cool. of shows a variety of people from kind of children, different classes, very different responses to this kind of overwhelming event and also not really knowing what's kind of happening and at the time when this was uh, kind of being published we were in the middle of the pandemic um, and mm. we were kind of having there was a lot of discussion especially in England about relating it back to the idea of the blitz spirit and kind of um, all coming together but actually from a lot of research people have done about kind of the blitz spirit it was obviously a lot of propaganda at the time to kind of keep people's morale up and actually mm. whether that kind of event is quite a traumatic thing to go through and so it's mm. kind of interesting to see how we respond to things that we just can't really understand. Um, mm -hmm. It's also obviously a snippet of that time, but I am a, a big Blitz nerd and, you know, have a bomb map and love all that kind of mm. stuff. So for yeah. me, it's a, a bit specific, but I think it does kind of um, go into the notion of if you were wanting an audiobook, it is kind of very much you can kind of just listen to people's stories um, as well mm. as getting an insight in the life, but you're feeling accessible as well. And I think it's something that we can horribly relate to, especially in recent times and yeah. um, various things. But I think that would be my, apart from just some really great cracking kind of history nonfiction, I think that would be my um, recommendation for a, a new list. That sounds really great with the multiple narrators. Like mm -hmm. that must bring it alive so much. Exactly. Yes. It's really different. And they just, people just don't do that for nonfiction. Like, no, you, yeah. You, they don't often have the same budgets as kind of um, fiction books. And so where you would get kind of some brilliant 
lots of narrators in like a Taylor Jenkins read, you wouldn't you wouldn't ever think of getting <laughs> right. that for like a nonfiction book. But I think yeah. um, they've That's done really it. cool. That's perfect. Okay, Raylene, what did you pick? Well, I decided to go with the book Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. Mm. Uh, yeah. The subtitle of that is Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. So this is one that I listened to on audiobook last year, I think. And I feel like this is a good kind of entry point into nonfiction for people who don't necessarily read a lot of nonfiction because it almost reads like a novel. It's very mm. kind of fast paced and thrilling, um, but it's obviously about true events. So I find like, I feel like true crime books also are kind of like they feel like you're listening to a podcast almost yeah, because definitely. it's I find it very easy to listen to them as audiobooks specifically um but yeah this one is just it's a really interesting book especially like even if you know what kind of is going to happen which I didn't really when I was reading it I I still feel like it would be an enjoyable read and there's also a um a show about this with Amanda oh, Seyfried yeah. in it so that it's just yeah, like yeah. it's a whole big story that's very very fascinating about this um company that just started as like a startup and gained traction got you know it became like a billion dollar thing and uh unfortunately the product didn't exactly work and was breaking a lot of rules and all this kind of stuff so it was a very crazy situation but it was very fascinating to read it it's just kind of like you know what like you can't walk, uh, look away from a train crash or whatever the saying is yeah. i feel like that's what this book is <laughs> so yeah i feel like it's a, a good one for non non-fiction readers that's perfect i remember that you really loved that one you went through it so quickly it was I yeah remember. like it was so good my pick is into the wild by mr john krakauer mm. um have either of you read this one i read it yeah yeah yeah, you're right. I think I remember that, really. So, okay, Claire, let me tell you about this one. This is a book. It, it's from 1996, and it's about a guy named Chris McCandless, who died in 1992. So basically, oh, God, like... It's, it's got, it's such a good, it's such an interesting story. He was an adventurer. Like he liked to go on adventures. He always was like trying to like live an exciting life. And he decided to go to Alaska and live off the land. Um, it just goes very badly and he ends up dying out oh. in the Alaskan wilderness. Yeah, like it's like a, it is like a true crimey type thing, right? So it's like you think you're reading something that's really fun and interesting, but it, it's also so spooky. This book is so spooky because things keep going wrong or like spooky things keep happening. This book is written by John Krakauer, like I mentioned, and he's like this really fantastic um, investigative journalist who has written other books before and after this. And you can kind of tell that he's gotten really good at writing this sort of story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he also intertwines a lot of other stories that are similar to the main story. And that really keeps it interesting as well. Because it's like, it would be, I think, a little boring. It would feel like you're stretching out a story that doesn't need to be stretched out that much over yeah. an entire book. But because he inserts like, th this is like this other person who also died in Alaska it's like these stories of these men who like go out and are trying to like reconnect with nature but w in a way that's just like no that just it can't work that way mm -hmm. um nature is like and it's it's also a big reflection on like what is nature like do do we live in harmony with nature nature is really dangerous it's such an interesting and exciting book if you can i recommend you listen to it the same way me and my brother listen to it by driving through the wilderness of manitoba <laughs> um 
It seems unlikely that you'll all get to do that, but if you are about to go on a big drive through a vast wilderness that you know is covered in bears, do that because it added so much fear into our hearts. We we were driving like looking out the window like, oh my God, <laughs> everything is dangerous. You're uh, It was honestly one of my favorite reading experiences ever, probably because I was with my brother and we were on this really long drive. It was when we were driving from BC to Nova Scotia because I'd bought this house. And so we were in this big epic drive, but also it was just so spooky and well done. I really recommend it. Um, All right, Ray, what is our last pick? All right. Our final one here is from Danielle, who says, Hey, guys, I really love your taste in books. And lately, I've been enjoying looking at books my favorite book enthusiasts suggest without doing Mm. any research and just going for it. I know, scary. Can I challenge you to suggest any little known classics you have enjoyed that you feel like not enough people know about? I would love to challenge myself, but it looks really intimidating scrolling through a list of classics and judging only by their covers. That is true. There are so many classics out there like we were saying i think that instead of being called book influencers this should have caught on we should have been called book enthusiasts yeah we just love books (laughs) danielle is so right we're just book enthusiasts um all right claire start us off what did you pick as your little known classic so i picked an author who doesn't sound like a little known classic and it's charlotte bronte Mm. but i picked shirley which is it's awesome okay yeah is one of my favorite books of all time i think it's brilliant um but it is one of her kind of lesser known books and i just think actually a lot of people don't know that mm. she wrote a book called shirley and yeah. it's a book um that is actually a historical novel and she was writing at the time uh, of kind of the chartists um in kind of fighting for their kind of right um kind of to vote and a lot of kind of upheaval in kind of the towns in the north and um it's a historical novel about the luddites which were kind of um before then so she's kind of talking about the the her current times very politically by writing mm. a historical novel and i don't think we think about um we would think someone like gaskell would write that you know with kind of the north and south kind of vibe um but this is kind of charlotte bonte doing that which i don't really think we would think of her doing um yeah and so it's just brilliant and you've got this really powerful woman Shirley at the centre which obviously you know a woman with a man's name and kind of turning a lot of these kind of gender stereotypes around and it's just it's such a brilliant book it's a love story as well at the heart of it like a lot of kind of you know Bronte's novels but um I think it's one that people maybe have read you know Jane Eyre and and not looked at reading another Bronte novel which happens obviously so often in the same way that you read Bothering Heights and not read Emily Bronte's poetry like I totally get it but I think Shirley is the one that I would kind of make people and go back and read. Yeah, that's a great one because I think you're a thousand percent right. People read Jane Eyre or know of Jane Eyre and they don't think of anything else I that she wrote. Because also good adaptation didn't... of it. Like, yeah, that'd be so. It cool. would be such a brilliant adaptation, like a yeah. film to do. I just need kind of Greta Gerwig or I can't, oh, I can't oh, remember yeah. the director who did Emma, but I just need a really good wow. adaptation. I can yeah. see it now yeah. with kind of Thunder, you know, a bit of bit of yeah. revolution, a bit of socialism. Oh, would be Listen, I've got a bonnet. I'm ready. I'll put myself (laughs) forward. I've got the socialism and I've got the bonnet. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I can change my name to Shirley. Um, From Barbie to bonnet. (laughs) The Greta Gerwig story. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, all right, Ray, what book did you pick? Okay, so I don't know if I would say this is lesser known, but I'm going to go with it because okay. I don't read that many classics. So we're going with this. So I chose The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. Hmm. which was a great book that I read a few years ago. And this one is like a sci-fi horror classic, which is kind of more my vibe when it comes to classics. Um, but this one's really cool. It's almost like Bird Box, but from the 50s. So it's like yeah. at the beginning of the story, the main character, his he has some kind of eye injury or something. So he has bandages over his eyes. And there's this big beam Ooh. that blinds everyone, except he has these bandages over his eyes. So he's not blinded along with the rest of the world, essentially. Um, there's maybe like one or two other people who still have their eyesight. So that's one aspect of, of the book. But then there's also these giant like monster plants that are like killing everyone Whoa. which sounds crazy but the, they're not really like the main part of the book they're just kind of like a scary thing that exists on the on the edges of the story um and yeah i just remember really liking it and the writing being really beautiful and um uh, yeah that's pretty much all i have to say because it's been a while since i've read it but i really enjoyed that one and i feel like yeah. people talk about the chrysalids more when it comes to john mm. wyndham so i feel like Day of the Triffids needs to get its... I haven't its read any, sun. like, sci-fi classics that's really inspired me. I just haven't actually read yeah. any sci-fi. So I probably... Yeah, they can be really probably, interesting. Yeah. I would recommend maybe starting with The Chrysalids if you wanted to read John Wyndham yeah. just because it's mm. a very, like, interesting story all around. And I can really picture you liking them, Claire. Like I classic so. sci-fi is a such it's a smart interesting like show. It's, it is. It's not just like fluff and fun. It's actually really good stuff. <laughs> it's really interesting because it's it's obviously like listening to what people a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago thought right. the future would mm -hmm. be. Yeah, I love that. It shows so much about what their present problems were. Yeah, it's such a fascinating. Yeah, it is one of my favorite. Uh, genres um in classics to read is like old sci-fi yeah. dystopian is great it's really interesting sorry what you just said because it's like how, that's the reason i read kind of historical fiction because often mm. it talks about right. our presence now yeah we do it from the past but it's doing it obviously the other way around yes. so if i like historical yeah. fiction i should read sci-fi right because it's just in the opposite Definitely. way around i will yes. do it i will read um Chris classic sci-fi it's also it. like a little bit funny because you're like that's not real that's so <laughs> silly <laughs> also like I love a bit of, in the same way I love, you know, throwing on a bonnet, a bit of fluff, a yes. bit of like fantasy, do you know what I mean? I'm down yeah. for it. It's um, so, yeah, it's definitely a genre that I've really enjoyed. Like, every time I read a classic sci-fi, I'm like, that, I should have, yeah, I should read more of this. Yeah. I always enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, I would also recommend Philip K. Dick, just to the general everyone. Mm, yes, um, Like, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is his probably most well-known, because that was turned into the movie Blade Runner. But I also really recommend Ubik, which was one that I read mm. with my friends. We did a little book club for that one. And it was, like, one of his lesser-known ones, I guess, but still pretty popular. But another really good one. Them. I've definitely not heard of that one. Yeah. Um, cool. So I really wanted to mention The Blue Castle by Lucy Maud <laughs> Montgomery. I won't talk about it very much because I wouldn't shut up about it last week or whatever when I read it or yeah. two weeks ago. But obviously Anne of Green Gables is what people think of when they think about Lucy Maud Montgomery. But what's really amazing about Lucy Maud Montgomery is that she was actually very prolific. Um, Anne of Green Gables is like what exploded for her it was her first published book and everything like it was the big one mm. but she wrote so many books in the decades after and they all did really quite well um and it's fascinating because basically she was writing in like the in the 20s to the like 50s or whatever and then in the 80s there was this really weird loose counter lucy Ma montgomery movement mm. from a lot of critics who were like she's way too twee she's for girls like oh, it's yeah. for children which is obviously so frustrating very like the kind of 
pushback that a lot of female authors were getting in the like 70s and 80s against like Jane Austen and mm-hmm. a very similar mm-hmm. thing. Um, but recently there's been a real uptick in people like respecting a lot of the Lucy Bob Montgomery stuff. But anyway, Blue Castle is such a beautiful book. I am obsessed with it. It probably is going to end up being my favorite book of the year because yeah. I can't shut up about <laughs> it and I want to reread it already. It. But um, I just talked about that recently. So I also wanted to mention God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. So obviously when people think about Kurt Vonnegut Jr., there's a couple of titles that come to yeah. mind. Um, a couple of the big ones, Slaughterhouse-Five, Breakfast for Champions, um, and maybe Cat's Cradle. But God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, I don't think is one of the ones that comes to mind for people. I read it a couple of years ago, and I read it in one sitting, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often for me anymore. And when it happens to me, that's just such a clue that something is so good, that it's so Mm -hmm. easy to just like, you don't want to stop. You just got to keep going because this is actually so fun and immersive. It's about a guy who's in a a really, really rich family. Like he's born into a grand inheritance type situation. I think this is set in like the early 1900s. Um, And he is the only person in his long line of rich family to realize that he should do something to help others. (laughs) And it's like really funny. Like, you know how in the Adams family, they're like backwards about beauty. Do you know what I mean? That they're like, they see someone who's like, quote unquote, to us beautiful. And they're like, oh my God, that poor girl. She's so depressing looking. And they're like, they're into the macabre. It's it's sort of like that where they're like, the rich family is like, oh my God, like, why does he want to help the poor? This is so embarrassing. Um, I mean, and this he's... sounds pretty accurate to society. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I don't think this is fiction. This is just called yeah. the Tory party. Yeah. <laughs> but this is why like Kurt Vonnegut this is what Kurt Vonnegut was known for. It's, it's his satire and yeah. his deep irony. And so he has this character who is having this ma- massive tension between him and his family. And he's it's kind of, lo- it's making him lose his mind. Like it's making him like really stressed out because he's like, wow, it doesn't make sense to my family or to anyone around me that I would use this money for good. And But then also because of that, he doesn't know how. He doesn't know, like, how should I help people? So their vast fortune comes from this factory town. And he decides he's going to go to the factory town, live with amongst the people that they hire, where they make all their money and help them do anything. And he sets up a a phone line and people just call him with little problems. And he just tries to fix everything (laughs) on his own. And it's like, terrible. Like, it's obviously doesn't make sense, but that's why it's so good. Um, You... You have so much compassion for him while at the same time being frustrated that he's not thinking of a better plan. Um, it's a fantastic commentary on on wealth and on privilege, etc. It's such a good book, but it's also really, really funny and really, really short. So what is this? I can't remember what I'm gonna write this on my little post-it note. Yeah, it's God, God she's got her sticky notes up. God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. I've never it's heard so of that, good. you know. I know. Ever. That's why. It's a lesser-known classic. Thank God for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Two good recommendations. I really need to... uh, Sorry, (laughs) look at me still talking. (laughs) No, you're right. I also... The only other one I've read is Cat's Cradle, and I love that one. Ray, you... Didn't you read Slaughterhouse-Five? I read Slaughterhouse-Five a long yeah. time ago, and I thought yeah, it was just that. fine. And then I read Breakfast for Champions and absolutely hated it. But I'm willing to read another oh. book by him, so I'll probably give that one a try if I see it. Maybe you're not into his, it's his very particular possible. brand of it's irony. Possible, but I'll try that. He's a little bit... Are these from similar era, actually? Or is Kurt Vonnegut later? 
it's kind of when I get kind of 60s or yeah yeah and then yeah yeah. I don't read enough men. Well, actually, I don't think anybody's ever said that. <laughs> that entire history of time, I don't think we need to read any more men. But actually, having thought of this, in terms of classics, I'm actually thinking, yeah, I probably have yeah. imagine. Which is a, an interesting gap. Hence yeah. the Dickens problem. <laughs> exactly. I mean, definitely against men. I mean, it is in his name, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um... Okay. Sadly, we have come to the end of our episode. Claire, this was great. I am so, so glad we finally got you on the podcast because it was starting to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, are you even actually friends? Like, come on. (laughs) So I ask myself every day, is this just a dream? (laughs) One day I'll wake up (laughs) and she'll be gone. I love Claire so much that I kind of want to cry whenever I think too much about it. So let's move on. Um, I'm so glad we had you on the podcast, Claire. And everyone, if you are interested, and you should be interested, if you're interested in checking out more of Claire's stuff, um, Claire Fenby everywhere is what you type in. That's what you type in. But we've linked it. We've linked it in the show notes. We've linked it in the description. So definitely check out her Instagram because it's one of the most aesthetic Instagrams ever. Um, And also her YouTube channel because it's a good old time. So thanks so much, Claire. We're going to go off. I forgot to tell you, but you're going to record a Patreon mini podcast with us now. (laughs) Oh, cool. Great. (laughs) Surprise. So we're going to go do that. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll Um, have you back for sure. And uh, yeah, everyone have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.